Welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts. Swing Thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade Adidas, the number one driver in golf. And Adidas is uh, still part of that because, you know, they uh, you're wearing Adidas shirts. I, uh, I've got Adidas stuff. I guess the biggest question is, where do we get our stuff next year? Same people. We're open to, well, we're definitely tailor-made, but it's funny. Jason Day is wearing, like, Nike. He's all swoosh. He's all, he's, um, is he wearing Nike soft goods? Soft yeah. goods, yes. Soft Apparel. goods. Yes. That's Tim O'Connor. He's the, he's the mental performance coach at Glen Abbey Golf Academy and also available at O'ConnorGolf.ca. I'm just, uh, I'm a uh, golf spiritual leader. You are. And I'm the host, so- <laughs> and, and the co-host of the Humble and Fred Radio.com. If you haven't got on that particular piece, make sure you do. But uh, I like the not fact with that your I'm, children. I'm self-proclaimed. Golf spirit, golf's spiritual leader. I think we're all self-proclaimed. Howard Glassman. Well, you no, you actually have a title. <laughs> I have. Yeah, but I, I you are, to... you have a real corporate title. You're the mental performance coach. I'm an idiot. Yeah, but it's only just written down, so it doesn't mean it means anything. It means something to me, and I think those that you've helped, Tim O'Connor. Uh, don't forget also Club Link. There's never been a better time to join. Club Link, I mean, now that the golf season in effect is over, start thinking about next year and uh, get on it. They're a great bunch of folks. There's probably all offering of, some deals. Say, yeah, oh, huge. Yeah, probably offering some great deals, you know, trying to clear out yeah, stuff. Yeah, man. O'Connor, we're going to be talking about all kind of stuff uh, to, on today's show, some personal breakthroughs and uh, some ideas around the game of golf. We'll catch up with each other. But first... Let me clear my throat. This is exciting, my friend. This uh, guest today, this gentleman and I met, I want to say, many years ago. When did we meet, Sean? 17 years ago, Howard. Is that true? Yeah, my son's 16 years old. Remember, my son was born the day after I gave you your first lesson up in Mont Tremblant. Um. We're gonna. Sean Clement has uh, established himself as the most watched golf instructor on YouTube, and a very unique approach to golf from either side of the ball. You're going to find out about this young gentleman, not so young anymore, that I um, that I I was just saying to Tim Sean before the show started. I said, you know, this story of how I met Sean is the archetypal. Uh, Howard Glassman obsessive golf swing story. I was I was at, at Montremblant with my family, young family at the time, I guess. And I said, "Hey, I'm just going to go over to the golf course and uh, hit some balls." Because God forbid a day goes by that I wasn't working on my golf swing. And they could busy themselves in your absence. Yeah, you, you people do whatever you people do. Without feeling abandoned? I don't know. I don't... I, I, hey, I was a golf... I was looking for, for some golf answers. That's it. I got no time for other people's feelings. <laughs> so I went over the range and there was this guy, Sean Clement, and we sort of started talking. And you gave me a bit of a introduction to the way that you taught golf at the time, which was, I thought, very forward thinking and very interesting. And... You know, we talked a little bit, and then I went home to Toronto. And how long after did I come all, did I come back just to see you again for the day? Uh, I can't remember that one. It wasn't long after. A few oh. months later, yeah. and I, I ended up staying at Sean's mom's place. <laughs> oh, so just an eight-hour drive? <laughs> so I drove for seven hours. Okay. I uh, stayed at Sean's mom's place and then spent the day working with Sean. 
And uh, he is our guest this morning from wisdomgolf.com and uh, the Internet's most watched golf instruction. It's Sean Clement. Hey, Sean. That was your introduction, Sean. No, that's pretty good. Wisdomingolf.com. Pretty good. Yeah. And, and uh, it really, you were actually one of the guys who really, in terms of golf professionals, really took advantage in the earliest days of YouTube. Yeah, to to put instruction up, and so there's like a gazillion videos of you, pal, up there. Well, tell us what is the number now? I, the last time I checked, it was in the millions. What is the number? Uh, we're, we're we're closing on thirty million hits and sixty five thousand subscribers, and uh, we're coming up on our tenth anniversary. So we're we're going to have a few, a uh, couple of pretty cool contests coming up. And uh, you know, it's 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 like in the in the blink of an eye, but. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of water under that bridge and a lot of hard work, and uh, it's, it's, it's been a blast and continues to be a blast. Could you have ever imagined when you started? Uh, I know you threw up a few videos. YouTube was sort of in its infancy, and you went, okay, I'll throw some stuff up. And, and the interesting thing for me, and I, and I knew you then a little bit. I mean, I, I know you. I mean, I mean, I hung around a little bit, and I, I remember seeing a few videos thinking, oh, I wonder where this will go. But it's turned into quite an industry for you, has it not? Um. Yeah, yeah, I would say like my my main gig is still. I mean, I still see sixty to eighty people a week, uh, you know, at the at the golf course here at my at my academy, at our academy here at the Richmond Hill Golf Club, and um, and that's and that's the, the the backbone of the whole thing. You know, it's uh, like they say, you know, the the your your best coach as a coach is your student, and um, you know, I really appreciate you being my student. Uh, for a while, I know we haven't seen each other in a while, and you guys, you're you're on one side of the city, and I'm on the next. But um, my students have really shaped the way that uh, you know I've really listened to them. Uh, but starting from a solid base, uh, you know, knowing what anatomy is, the human anatomy is is a huge component, and knowing how the brain works. And I've done, I've, I dove into some pretty serious guys out there, like Jeff Hawkins. And uh, and uh, Gabriel Wolf at the University of Las Vegas, and and these are just uh, you know uh, it's been it's been a whole team effort. Uh, to, and you you know you'll see that the videos today are very consistent with the the videos of yesteryear, but uh, a lot more refined, a lot more polished, uh, a lot uh, a lot easier to understand and and better communicated. You know it's it's the evolution of Sean Clement. Well, let's talk a little bit about your method. I mean, one of the things that attracted uh, me to you when I first met you was that you had a way of explaining golf that wasn't sort of the everyday, and you incorporated a lot of different elements. But why don't you explain to everyone that one of the unique aspects of Sean's ability is that Sean can hit a golf ball from both sides of, yeah. of the ball. You, were, yeah. you actually were a professional golfer, Canadian tour player, yep. as a right-hander, but you're also a scratch golfer as a left-hander. Yeah, actually, I had a lot of a lot of pretty interesting press when I was on the Canadian tour. I, at one point, I had more press than the winners of the tournament. Um, you know, because everybody was amazed that I played with half half my set was lefty and the other half was righty. I play odds right and evens left. Uh, you know, same trajectory. You know, same distance from both sides. And I continue to do that to this day. I, I really enjoy doing that. I, I, I love both the sensations of, of both swings, and uh, it, it keeps me uh, very well-rounded as, as a teacher because you look out there, there's about 40% of the guys on tour are backhanders. Jordan Spieth is left-handed, plays golf right-handed. 
Phil Mickelson is right-handed, play golf, plays golf left-handed. There's a lot of guys out there that way. And, uh, and it's the same, you know, you know, because hockey is such a big sport here in Canada. Um, uh, and, and now, of course, a lot more in the United States. Uh, there are a lot more backhanders out there, and, and, and they need... The, the, they need this. They need this information. So, so Sean, so Sean, I want to just. Could you just elaborate? What does a backhander mean? Do you, does that mean you you lead it, with the, your dominant hand, like your your top hand on the club, or is the dominant hand the one that's applying most of the force? Is the bottom hand? No, the backhand is dominant land. Dominant hand leading. So Bob Charles is. That's I got that that quotation from Bob Charles. And uh, if you look at, uh, so he would throw the ball right hand, kick with his right foot. But if he if he played sports like a, uh, like in tennis, you'd be surprised at how many people tell me that their backhand is their better side in tennis. Okay. And and baseball, like I I when I play baseball, I hit from the left side. I play hockey from the left side, but I've got an excellent throwing arm from the right side. So both sides feel very comfortable to me. So you were able to take that unique ability to experience golf from both sides of the ball, whether you're a backhander or not. And I mean, that was only one, you know, that, in a way, it's not fair because it was kind of a little bit of a gimmick. And as you say, you used to get a lot of press, yeah. but, but it, it's not the it's not what's unique about wisdom in golf and the way that you no. approach teaching golf. No, it just the, a teach. I should say the golf swing. No, doing doing that helped me weed out a lot of the misinformation out there, Howard. You know, they say, okay, you got to load up the right side, fire the right side. Well, that feels that feels pretty adequate. You know, at the time, it felt pretty adequate with my right-handed swing, but my left-handed swing, no, no way. There's no way I could even associate with that. And then you have other guys that say, no, no, you, you, you turn back with your lead side and you pull through with the lead side. And that felt very comfortable with my left-handed swing, but not with the right hand. So it was always half the story. So that's, that only pushed me to go way deeper into that rabbit hole. And, and thank goodness for the Canadian Ski Patrol who gave me an amazing upbringing on human anatomy because then I could just say, okay, what are the methods out there that really coincide and, and, and work well with human anatomy? And then you take that information, combine that with my righty and lefty inf- you know, uh, information, and then you start applying it to your students. And then you get feedback from your students, and then you go, well, that's working great, and that's not. So then 10 years later, you go, wow, we've, we've come a long way. And then 10 years after that, and the, the, the second decade is, is through YouTube. And now, that, you know, because of all the feedback I'm getting from YouTube, I, I answer at least 200 emails and, and, and comments each day. And uh, uh, it really turbocharges you in the direction that you should be going on. So, you know, all this validation from all these doctors and orthopedic surgeons and sports, uh, uh, sports psychiatrists and sports psychologists, it's, 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 uh, it's just amazing how streamlined it's, it's become. So, Tim and I both want to ask you a question. Yeah. Me Here's first, Tim. Me first. Me first. So, um, I've known you for a couple of months now, Sean, and uh, I really like your your approach. But I also understand that Howard, the man across from me, yes, had a dramatic effect on your approach to teaching. You bet. And I'd like to hear that story. Yeah, you bet. I mean, you know, Howard and I went. We started off. I mean, it's you, you, again, you have your base of anatomy, and you say, okay, Howard. 
this is how you want to swing without hurting your body. And, and this is how the body is actually designed to work. So we go off on our merry way like that way, and this is how it's supposed to feel. But there were some components missing. And at one point, you know, Howard went off and, and he, he took a lesson from Henry Brunton. And Henry said, target. So Henry's going with target, but doesn't have the same anatomical background I do. And he came back to me and says, you know, this really blew my mind, you know, this target thing. <laughs> I mean, for the last, you know, 10 years on YouTube, that's, that's all I preach. Without the target, you can't organize your movements and can't, you know, tie in the intersection, which is where the ball is, that there is no, you know, if you don't have that target, you can't, you can't plug it all together. And, um, and, and that was, that was a, you know, that's, that's where I pride myself in listening to my students. And I really, really took that to heart because I really respect Howard as a, as, a, as a golfer and as a player because he's a very, very passionate guy. And so I took that to heart. And, uh, and I went on to that direction. The seed was planted in a huge way. And, and Howard, you'd be happy to hear that that seed has, pl- has, has grown a freaking sequoia tree. Okay. So, I, I'm, listen, I'm flattered uh, that, I'm, that I'm super uh, influential as a spiritual leader. It's the kind of thing I want to hear. Uh, but I'm, let's, let's clarify. <laughs> let's clarify um, what it was. I came back to you and, we, and I basically said, okay, I want to learn to swing a certain way a little bit better. I want to work on my motion. Yep. But it was as it relates to targeting. Is that the part that... That planted the seed that led yes. to the sequoia yeah, that, that, that was I wasn't harping on the target enough. Right. And then, and then it's once I connected the anatomy to the target, and then I looked at all the other sports, and it just it just you know propelled me in 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 that proper direction. So the the base has never changed. You you can't you can't change your anatomy, man. It's, you know we've been on this planet for a long time, so you can't change your anatomy. And you can't change the rules of the planet. So you, ha- you really have to work with that. But the targeting aspect of it was, you know, then that, that was like the, the huge deal. So it all starts with, okay, where do you want to go and how do you want to get there? So do you want to hit a fade or a draw, medium flight to that particular target? Without that information, you can't set up. The setup cannot exist properly if you don't have the target and the flight plan to get there. And then once you're set up, the question's easy. When I deliver into that picture, will this setup allow me to do that? What do you mean by picture? The picture, a moving flight. The ball's going to start there, it's going to rise up to there, and it's going to land there. So if I'm hitting a fade, let's say the pin is back right, I'm going to start on the left edge of the right bunker and let it fade back toward the left side of the flag stick, and when it lands, it's going to cozy up to the flag. So I'm, I'm making a proper flight plan. Okay, so you are more uh, focusing on the external factors and how the body and the mind will react to that external factor rather than, say, focusing in on something internal like turn left hip or something like that. Massively. And, that, and this is where Gabriel Wolf comes in, okay? So they've done a whole bunch of studies on how we learn motor skills as human beings. And, and external focus is obviously where it's at. I mean, you know, the rest of the golf industry is, is having a hard time catching up because, you know, they're, they're so busy, you know, placing body parts and being puppet masters. So uh, 
you, you look at, you know, they, they took a, a dart team and they split in two and they say, okay, you guys, you just focus on hitting bullseyes. Forget the rest of the board. We're just doing bullseyes and let's see how, how good you get at hitting bullseyes after a couple of weeks. And then the other side of the team, they said, okay, you focus on making exactly the same body motion with your arm. Make the same exact motion with your arm and focus only on the motion of your arm. Well, we all know how that one comes out. Of course. So, so without the target, you know, it's like um, uh, one, of, one of the, you know, the national trainer in Australia has been to a few of my sessions when I was down there. And we had dinner and we had a great conversation. His name is Dean Kinney. And he says, boy, man, did you turbocharge me in the right direction? So a little bit like, you know, the same aha moment I had with Howard, he had with me. And he says, this reminds me of a story when he used to play a lot of golf. He played, you know, the Australi- Australasian tour and had a lot, of, a lot of rounds with Robert Allenby. And, you know, he'd, all, he'd constantly get beat by Allenby. And one day, you know, having a, you know, drowning his sores in his beer because he, you know, missed a cut and Allenby, Allenby went on to make another top ten. He says, what is it with you? I mean, I can hit the ball as good as you, but you still keep beating me by five shots. And he says, it's simple, mate. I look at the target, let my swing react to the target. You're looking for a damn body part position, and you're hoping that that position fits the target. Well, you know, first of all, I can't agree with you more. And I got to tell you, it's interesting. I'd forgotten this conversation that we had many years ago. I am looking on your website. I don't see any, you know, tribute to me, but that's fine. We can fix that. <laughs> Laugh all you want, funny man. Wisdomandgolf.com. Spiritual leader in golf. Um, spiritual leader in golf. Now, you know what's funny? I've spent a lot of my life. There's two things that I, I was the worst golfer for uh, bad temperament I'd ever met. And I was the most swing obsessive golfer I've ever known in terms of mm-hmm. sitting there beating balls on a range. Yep. And I sort of went away from golf for a few years. And when I came back, I spent a few years sort of getting back to, you know, a decent level of play. But all I have focused on for sure the last six months with this teacher that I'm with now is just as you described. What is the shot I want to hit? Yep. Where do I need to set up to hit that shot? What's yep. my primary target and what's my secondary target? And then I let my swing inform it. And I'm going to tell you, I've had more success. I've lowered my handicap. And later on in the show, uh, Swing Thought People, I uh, have a great tale. But I have lowered my handicap more this year than in any year I've played golf. And I've hit less balls. I've worried less about them, you know, where, whether my hip is turning or it's not. All I think about now is what do I have to do to hit that target, whether I'm going to draw or fade it or cut it or hit a punch cut or whatever it is. Yep. And, and that's the story. That's the, the tale of Robert Allenby and any good player. Yep, Exactly. So how do you so how do you reconcile that with you're a guy like a lot of um, people who teaches players sixty to eighty times a week? How do you reconcile having to sit and get somebody proper standing and holding and all these things with learning how to play the game of golf? Uh. Re- reconfigure that question. I, I want to make sure I understand. Well, question. what I mean is, you have part of what you do, like a lot of instructors, is stand on a range with human beings trying oh. to get them to. Well, that's an easy one, Howard. Okay. Okay. Whether you do it on the range with me, there is no difference hitting shots on a range with me than on a golf course. Explain why. There is a specific focus sequence to every shot we hit. So, we already started. You need a flight. 
You need a setup that matches that flight, and then you need a feel to deliver into the flight. Is is it? Are are you? You know, one club. Let's say you say I don't have enough with a seven iron. I got too much with a six. We're going with the smooth six. So the feel of that shot into that picture, and then are you staying with it? Because a lot of people go, okay, there's my target. You know, there's this is what I'm going to do. There's the plan. All right, I want to make sure I hit this ball solid. Well, you just canceled your trip. Right. Okay. So there's a there's a there's a very specific process as to how you stay with your shot. You need to know: Did you or did you not feel a nice release into that picture? Are you aware that you stayed with it, or did you black out? Mm-hmm. So. When you go on the golf course after, there is no difference. There's the, there's the picture I'm going for. The only, the only difference is that you're going to be subjected to, to more elements, different lies. You know, uphill, downhill, side hill, which we do. You know, I have my magic box that we do uphill, downhill, side hill lies. And you remember at Taboo, I had that area where I had those, those uneven lies. That's a, a super important part of the game. And, and it's a great way to polish the action. So to a more advanced player, we're going to have amazing breakthroughs this way. And to, let's say, and I just, I absolutely love the beginner golfer every bit as much as the advanced golfer. Because in the first session, I have them hitting shots in the center of the club face, in the air. They get to actually experience the bliss of a golf, of a, of a properly struck golf shot. And they, they immediately leave with benchmarks. So, you know, the, 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 it's an absolute, you know, I can't wait to get up in the morning every day because I know I'm going to have some amazing success that day. That's, well, what a nice way to head into every day. I wish I could do that every day. But I wanted to ask you, in terms of takeaways for our listeners, like, we're, this is some pretty, very, this is a really cool stuff. And some of it is a little heady, I think. So I want to bring it down a notch for some of our listeners. So when you say that they're, in the process, yep. hitting into the image, I, I get all that. And then you say that their focus changes, maybe to, to hitting it solid or they black out. Are you saying that they, they go, okay, this is a shot I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit a nice, um, uh, I'm going to flight this ball. I'm going to turn it into the flag, yep. to the back left corner. And then suddenly they focus on the little white ball and I need to hit that thing. Yep. I need to turn this body part. Is that what you mean by exactly? Suddenly they, they, they change. It, they get, you know, they're, they're at, they're, they have anxiety. In other words, if let's say you've been hitting the ball thin, and you, you're trying to trying to figure out why you've been hitting it thin. So you're looking down at the ball, and you're going, "Okay, I got to make sure I don't hit this thin." Right. Well, that's not going into a target, is it? That's Absolutely. Right. You know, I, in fact, I was I, when you said that, it reminded me of something that our, our guest Fred Shoemaker talks about in Extraordinary Golf, which is how in, if you if you imagine yourself taking a backswing and or focusing on a target um, in Extraordinary Golf talks about most people can't stay with a sensation throughout their entire golf swing. Right. And so when it comes to targeting, they might say, I want to hit a soft draw into this back left pin. But as you just said, Timmy, at some part in the process, it goes back to, but I've got to make sure I don't snatch it inside on the back swing. There you go. Okay. So, so there's, a, there's a very specific process that we use to, for you to be aware that you're staying with the shot. So... You know, there's, there's this amazing thing that we human beings do extremely well, and that's predict. 
So I'll give you an example, Howard. You can try this next time you're on the range, okay? You have a target, and you know, you know what it feels like when you release a shot into the target, right? You feel that the peak speed of your swing is, is past the ball, and, and you feel this beautiful speed right through and out into your shot, and you've got this beautiful, expansive finish, right? Yeah. So you, you make your practice swing a couple of inches above the ball, and you make the prediction. You say, okay, if I feel this beautiful swing into that, into that picture, I feel like I'm going to miss the ball entirely. And go ahead and do it. So the club passes over the ball. You predict that you won't feel a contact. You won't feel any vibrations in your hands. You're just going to hear, going to hear a little bit of wind whistle past the ball, not before it. If you're swinging through, you'll hear the whistling sound beyond the ball. And so, so then you lower the club to the equator of the ball, where the sole of the club is at the mid-portion of the ball. You say, okay, if I make the same swing, I predict I'm going to top the ball. So you go ahead and make the same swing into the target. When I ask my students, did you stay with the same swing to the target, or were you making sure you were going to top the ball? And invariably they go, well, you know what? I was making sure I was going to top the ball. So then they do it again, and they, they finally make that nice swing into the target, and they end up nicking the very top of the ball, and they go, oh, that was different. I did stay with swinging to the target, and lo and behold, I predicted I was going to top it, and I did. So then you lower the club to the grass, and, and then predict that if you swing to the target, you're going to graze the grass with the sole of the club. So you go ahead and do that. That will produce typically a thin shot, a thin or a bladed shot. And then you get a little bit lower, and then you predict that if you deliver into the target, you're going to feel the sole of the club drag through a little bit of dirt, which, which would be your divot. So then you have just predicted that you are going to nut the shot. So now you are free to stay with the picture. And like anything else, you know, it's a uh, learned experience and feedback the way Sean teaches is different than what a lot of guys do. They just stand on the range and hope that their students can reach goals and milestones in their backswing and in their delivery and their elbow being tucked. And, and what Sean described there is, is a lot different than a guy saying, oh, track man says you're coming in three degrees closed and, and whatever, and the path went to the right. right. It's a different experience. It's closer to what Freddie Shoemaker does and, and other forward-thinking teachers do. And uh, I think it's what attracted me to your style when we first met because it was like I, I, had, I have come to the conclusion, especially at 56 now, whatever I was 17 years ago, I knew instinctively that I'd spent enough time beating golf balls. Yep. Yep. Trying, you know, to, just, time, uh, trying to reach targets in a golf motion that were impossible for me to for me to do. Yeah, and I have a, a similar experience that what attracted me to, to you, Sean, was that so much of your philosophy, shall we say, of teaching comes from recognizing that as human beings, we have innate talent. We have this ability to throw stuff oh, man. <laughs> at a target yeah. and, make it, and make it happen, as opposed to this very self-absorbed approach to you know moving our bodies in a certain way well, and well, and i just think that that there's a place for for being having body awareness where you are in space etc yep. but to me if it always comes it needs to come down to okay the objective of this exercise is send this little white thing to there 
Yeah. So if I'm not responding to what there is, then I'm not going to be able to deliver it. No, not at all. And, and that's the whole point. You know, look at TrackMed. We, as humans with this brain, are infinitely more sophisticated than that TrackMed machine. And what really continues to displease me about the golf business is that, you know, too often you go to a golf teacher and they will be more than happy to show to show you how defective you are. Whereas Whoa. it should be the complete opposite. When people leave my my lesson tee, they go, "Oh my gosh, I really feel capable. I can do this." And 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 they realize how amazing this machine is. So, well, I'm going to tell you, it's interesting to uh, talk to you all these years later. I, uh, Timmy, and I talked about getting you on. I thought, you know, you know, it's funny because I had spent quite a bit of time with Sean. In fact, it's weird because you know it's interesting when when Tim said Sean claims that I uh, helped affect some part of the philosophy of your teaching. I thought that's kind of cool. What, what I remember though is Sean came to play <laughs> golf with me, and we were on the range, and you know we had played at the national where I was a member at the time. And Sean, just hearing Sean talk about and describe his philosophy of golf instruction, somebody overheard that, and that somebody. Um, hired you to come work at Taboo. And so in a way, you know, that sort of got you into Ontario. Yeah, exactly. And you took off from there. And in fact, uh, one of my favorite moments as a pilot slash golfer is when Sean started working up at Taboo Resort in uh, the Muskokas. One day I took an airplane and my golf clubs <laughs> and, I, and I flew up north. Sean picked me up at the airport. We went and hit golf balls for an hour, and I flew home. Oh, my gosh. Am I cool? I know, and I was like, I'm pretty cool. That is... And, and did you guys go... Cool. Did you guys go... I wonder what the poor people are doing today. <laughs> no, I know. It's like, yeah. What, what two things that uh, are the most expensive things you can do? Yeah. Fly someplace, get a, a lesson at a ridiculous resort, and fly home. But I'm so happy for your success. Thanks, Howard. And um, when you get back, I know you're on the road a little bit, but when you get back, I'm going to pop up and we'll have a coffee and uh, catch up. That'd be awesome, man. Wisdom in Golf is uh, aptly named, and uh, Sean Clement is available at that website. Go check it out and check out his videos on YouTube. And Howard's part of that wisdom. Ah. Oh, there you go. Wow, that's why. I'm golf's spiritual leader. Yes, sir. Self-proclaimed <laughs> spiritual guru. Hey, dude. I, I validate. I validate. Thank you, my oh, friend. There you go. All right. It's not no longer just self-proclaimed. Johnny, I'll talk to you soon, man. All right, buddy. See ya. See ya. I stayed at his mom's place because his mom had a bed and breakfast in this just outside of Tremblant, Quebec. And I didn't know the guy at all. I said, oh, I'm going to come up and have a lesson. I'm going to spend the day with you. And uh, we spent literally, I don't know, four or five hours. But the night before I got there, I had to stay somewhere. He goes, oh, my mom has a bed and breakfast. I'm like, cool. How perfect is that? I'm staying with his mom, and then I did my lesson. I drove home. I love it. What a great story. And uh, I like that he's validated your, uh, your <laughs> wisdom and spiritual leader status, you know, because that's what it's all about. You can self-proclaim all you want. Yes. But you need others to, to externally validate you. Well, you're, you're correct when you say, you know, you're a lot of people's spiritual leader. I have a lot of my friends that are your students, <laughs> and uh, they always uh, throw uh, O'Connorisms at me. I'm like, ah, yeah, whatever. I was there. I've had lunch with the guy. I know what he's telling you people. Um, so, uh, you know, it's funny because Sean really is one of the first golf instructors that I ever met that had a different approach to 
helping people. And I feel in a, in a way, and, and you can maybe comment on this, we know a lot of guys that teach golf. And the problem with the way golf is taught is, you know, you have to make a living. You're just people trying, men and women, trying to eke out a living for their family. And so you stand on a range seven or eight hours a day, and they, it's like a, a, a procession of people you're teaching the golf swing to. But it's, it's, a, it's a factory approach. And when Sean's approach is teaching people the golf game. A little closer, not a hundred percent, but certainly closer than your average range pro uh, that has to sit there for seven or eight hours or ten hours in the summer trying to you know get people through the system so that they can make money. Yeah, well, Sean, I mean, he, you know, he's he puts in his time on the range, like sixty to eighty people a week. Holy cow, he's putting them through. But he's but his approach is slightly different. Oh, absolutely, it's it more is. target oriented. Absolutely, it is, and that's what really uh, attracted me to to Sean, um, because yeah, I'm I'm biased that way too. I uh, there certainly is a place for, as I say, it's sort of like body awareness. You need to you need to know where you're at. Uh, at the address, how you're related to to the target, but again, it's how are we relating to to what we're trying to trying to do, and that's what I really like about Sean's approach is that it's dictated by what we want to do, not by oh I hope I get this right, mm-hmm. I hope I get this swing in this, in the slot, and I manage to transfer my weight the right way, and I'm videotaping my swing and all that. That is the spinning. Your wheels approach. Well, I, and I guess that's really kind of what believe. I'm saying is that yeah. the, the majority of golf instructors, because of the nature of the way, you know, the whole thing has been set up for hundreds of years. You come to me. I teach you your grip and your stance and what the proper motion as I see it. It's all. And that's the other thing. There's no absolute standard. It's all interpretation, depending on how good or bad your instruction was. It's, it's the kind of teacher you become. But. But Sean's a little bit further down the road in that he, he relates everything he does to a target where he and, and I mean, he's not complete either. Where it falls down for me is, OK, so ta- so now what? Now what do I do? Who, who's going to teach? My, my question to you and other people is who teaches these who teaches anyone how to play golf? Because, you know, you knowing how to hit a, a soft draw to a back left pin and starting it off the, the right bunker is one thing. But knowing when to hit that shot, mm-hmm. knowing that there's a game you're playing um, has been my biggest discovery of 2016. Yeah. And, and uh, well, I'll, I'll throw this at you and then please you throw, throw it at me and me. I'll throw back. Well, I think that a lot of it comes from. When I play with better players and I watch better players, so part of my role um, the last few years has been assistant coach of the University of Guelph team. So I've had a lot of opportunity to play with good players at my own club, but as coach with the Guelph Griffins, I get to hang out at these tournaments with these a lot, like people don't understand how good <laughs> no, these know. university players crazy, are. Huh? They are really good. If you think that all good Canadians are playing in the U.S., you're wrong. These these a lot of these people most of these people are plus handicappers so i'm watching them and i watch the approaches they take and 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 learn so much from watching good players playing with them and seeing the decisions that they make and 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 how they approach shots and how they um they aim maybe for the for the middle of the green good enough as opposed to you know attacking a pin and that that type of thing, so a lot of it is learned. Lots from from discussion, and a lot learned from making mistakes. 
lot like I had to learn when I would say scope out a number to a back pin. Then you know, if it was like say one uh, one fifty one fifty five or so, and that would kind of be a stock eight iron. No, <laughs> I don't want to be hitting a shot that lands. And right that's at great, the pin. but that's great. That's Here's what I say: that's great for you. But who who teaches the average player that? Well, I think here's a, the thing. That is I don't, a hard thing to learn, but that's what you. That's but why I don't think, I think that's the, a mental performance thing. Well, a golf coach could, if you play, see the most valuable lessons are on the course. Yes, that's the most. That's the the best way to play, and that's unfortunately doesn't happen a lot. But that's in golf. why I say that the way the 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 model we have in golf is broken. Stand on the range. Stand on yes. the range for ten hours a day. Got it. I'm going to put your hands on this grip, and uh, I'm going to set you on a path that is going to have you forever wondering if you're doing the swing right. Correct. Yeah. We're both saying the same thing. You've had the experience of watching good players, and I say this with all humility. I've been a good player a long time. You know, I, I and I thought I knew what playing well was. What I think the disconnect for me has always been is, you know, I've listen, I've had lessons with Sean Clement, Jim McLean, uh, Rick Smith, David Ledbetter. I mean, I've had some Henry Brunton, Sean Foley, Sean Casey, and, and all of them taught me great gobs of information about the golf swing. I know a lot about shaft angle and approach and all that stuff, but it, none of it ever taught me how to play. Yes, I learned some tricks from better players and being a better player. But what I'd say to you that your experience has been so good because now as a mental performance coach, you can say to your players, yes, you might want to not be so mad all the time and let things go and here's some techniques to do that. But, but you once said to me, you need to change your intention of, of the game in terms of your mental approach. And I would say this to you now, that we golfers need to change our intention when it comes to the game. Because that's why really that's why good players are good and not so good players aren't as good. I know that sounds simple and, and no, I, I get ridiculous. It. I, no, but, I totally get it. But it's true. And your benefit for your students is that you get to see how excellent players conduct themselves in, in terms of the strategy of the game. And it's being able to talk to them. Hey, why would you hit that shot? And, yeah. and that kind of thing. And they, So in this situation, you had that. Why didn't you do this? Why would you do that? Have you been able to apply it to your own game? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. give me an example. Like, uh, and we, 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 you know, we're going to talk about uh, your final round. And, you know, I had a pretty good round, uh, kind of a breakthrough recently. And I, But I am curious. Like, when you are playing Tim O'Connor golf, and I've seen you play... What was that round, uh, the nine holes, and you were like three under or two one, under? Uh, okay, one under? One or two under, I think. But it's pretty cool. He made four birdies in nine holes. Wasn't that it? Four I mean, three, three it was or not, four. You made, eight, you made 11 birdies in nine holes. Um, <laughs> Set a new course record. But I've seen you play very fine golf. So how does that, uh, how does what you and I just talked about, how does that apply to your game? It's from being, it's from making better decisions from, a, from, Starting with a state of neutral, not being emotionally invested, not like trying to just keep myself in a state where I'm really enjoying myself. So during my round yesterday, I was playing and I'm after every shot, like I was just playing by myself. It's my traditional thing that I do. My last, my last round of the year, I play by myself. I get off first off the tee. And in fact, what I'm doing is I say goodbye to the golf course. 
I love that. It's my own little ritual. No, it's cool. And after every green, I look back and I kind of, I, even a few times. Even, Was this at your place, Blue Springs? At Blue Springs, yeah. yeah. I even waved a bit. It's, yes, it's weird. but I love it, man. But I'm looking around. I'm trying to absorb the experience as much as I can. I'm trying to feel the wind on my face. I'm trying to just see all the trees. I love how the trees changed um, in how they look against the sky. I'm trying to be fully in the experience of being on the golf course. And that just centers me. It keeps me in a place of just of, of a peace and calmness and really enjoying and, and puts me in the landscape. And, and, and that's a way that, that I just really play from this place of almost of, of like gratitude of just being really grounded in the experience. And then when I have a, have a shot so that that's kind of one part of it, but it's, it's looking at what's, what's available so I'm gonna so on number five at Blue Springs it's a par three and uh, it's over water and there's a bunker on the right hand side that's the one after the par five yes yes the par five so the par five goes up up the the hill and then you come back to the par three correct that's a tough little shot yeah so um, and it's you you gotta be pretty well center to the right side just the way the green mm-hmm. slopes so the the pin was cut to right behind the bunker on the right hand side which is also over water and it's an elevated green it's a downhill shot it's weird it's yeah. a kind of a downhill shot to an elevated green that's that drops off on either side toward the hazard correct and toward the bunker so i'm thinking like okay my standard shot there is a draw it just feels comfortable for me, but this is, but there's a bit of wind and there's that bunker there, so I don't quite. If I don't quite catch the the um, the shot, I can be in the bunker or maybe even in the water. So instead of hitting a instead of hitting a six, I just I went okay. I'm gonna cut this five iron mm. and I'm just gonna maybe just do about a three quarter swing and aim for the center of the green with a cut and. And I ended up, so I was, I ended up exactly, so it was a, it was a conservative strategy and I was able to swing aggressively and Mm -hmm. with some freedom. A free swing to a conservative target. And I hit the ball. So I'm in the middle of that green. Yeah. And I got about a 20 footer for birdie. Beautiful. And, you know, I ended up making a, a routine par, but the point that I'm making is, is that instead of just going straight at that, at that flag, you know, it was it wasn't the hardest shot in the world really with a six iron or or whatever it's in my wheelhouse but i just went let's play the percentage just play a cut five middle of the green well, no, it, and a shot it, that i could just really but it's a great example if you had an intention that had nothing to do with i got to make sure that when i take when i draw the club back i don't you know i cock my wrists or i you know i i make sure i'm you know don't forget to move your hips or none of you know that. don't forget to hold and lag and none of that has anything to do with what you just described Right. The problem is, no one, no, very few people, with the exception of a couple of people that I've met, Sean being one of them, to a degree, are teaching that. Because, as I said, I guess that was my 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 essay is that the model <laughs> the model of how we present golf to people, including good players and new players, isn't that. Right. That's not part of the model because to make a living, you got to stand there for ten hours and show somebody how to get a ball airborne. Yeah, because it, it does come down to the economic reality. Yes. So if you're if you're a golf professional and you have to account for your time. So if you're playing even nine holes, 
You're talking about so if you talk say that's even, three lessons you didn't give fifty bucks an hour maybe you got to charge two hundred bucks at, at minimum really well there's that, nobody that's yeah. even cheap that's, no because most people are you think about the really average guy that's charging a hundred and hundred fifty bucks an hour if he goes on a playing lesson he's he's losing out on a, on a lot of revenue on a sunny day in the summer right so that's part of the that's part of the practicality that makes it difficult to do playing lessons so my premise to you is and it's going to be the theme for me going forward is how do we how do we find a way to teach people that because here forget new players because it's i gotta tell you coming into the game of golf is a very difficult thing because first of all the way the way we teach people is so faulty it's so broken because that, not, nothing about learning how to swing a golf club has anything to do with hitting a soft six iron cut into a back right f- flag but that's all there is you know i was trying to explain this to my daughter that my daughters are so sick of me talking about golf they actually do this to me now they go please uh, when i here's what happens They'll have a problem, and I'll go, well, you know, in the game of golf, they'll go, please, Daddy, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like, can relate everything uh, to golf. Yeah, it's like, it's like when I come home on a, on a Saturday, and, and I go, like, on 11, and my wife will kind of go, <sighs> okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. All right. What did you do this morning, honey? So, um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what, I, what the point about the kids, but the, the fact is, what? Remind me? I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. You're telling a story. I interrupted you. No, no, it's fine. I, it's, I do this all the time. No, I should interrupt spiritual leaders. No, you can. This is what a spiritual leader can handle it. Um, the point about, oh, I see. That, that I was, I'm telling one of my daughters who was a pretty decent soccer player. I said, imagine this. I said, imagine somebody taught you how to kick a ball. You know, you were practicing uh, on a field somewhere, and they showed you how to kick a ball, how to pass, how to dribble, all the things you do. But then they said, okay, now go play soccer. And because yeah. that's what golf is. No one teaches. I said, you know, when most games, you, whether it's hockey, football, soccer, they teach you on the field of play to do things that are part of the game of play. And as Sean said, and he's close. I don't give it's not 100 percent, but he's way closer than most guys because he's at least saying, let's relate this motion to a target. Now, if I had some small part in that, I wish I'd remembered. But um that's great because I came back to him saying, okay, that's all good and well how to swing a golf club, but how do I get it to go to a, a place? Right. And that's the problem with our game is that what you just described is beautiful and that's how good golfers play. Yeah. And, but I would also, I, I would also say that not all golfers are the insert tab A into slot B mechanics types. There's lots of golfers who've borrowed stuff from, say, uh, like he hey, mentioned. Tom, a golfer's a golf instructor. Golf instructor, sorry. Yeah. So there's lots. I mean, I've been to a number of um, Fred Shoemaker workshops, yep. and he's talking basically what we're talking about. Those workshops are packed, and they're a lot of people. He's the guy uh, in terms of like the number one respected coach, I would say, among coaches would be mm-hmm. Fred Shoemaker. Yeah, but that's still the exception that doesn't prove the rule. It, correct. But there's more people who are cottoning on to that yeah. as there's more people cottoning on to the work of, of Gabriel Wolf, um, who's a, um, a, a social scientist who studies um motor skill movement and that type of thing there's a, a lot of very cool um journal articles that she's written and other people like that that golf professionals are going to to educate themselves on how people you know move their bodies and how they relate to things so so yeah i mean it's it's across the board but but yeah 
your average golf professional is uh, okay. You're coming inside and coming over the top, and not mm-hmm. not transferring your weight and moving your hips. And as I said, you know, like there was very few people I've met. I joke that I was the worst golfer I ever met in terms of temperament. I was. I, I can't think of anyone else I ever played with that was a bigger sulker, or whiner, or bitcher, or angry, and anger at myself. And so that was great. And some of the mental things, a lot of the mental things that we've talked about on this show, and and the years of reading, and you know how you and I came together was our mutual interest in that kind of part of golf and uh and i was also the most swing obsessed person you know the kids were reminding me that in, in our old house when mommy and daddy were together and life was great um i used to have this sad. place place it's not that sad i used to have this place down in my basement that my ex-wife called golf lab because <laughs> i had you know that scene in tin cup oh yeah <laughs> All, it's funny because when i first saw that movie i'm like got that got that got that i had literally you know the, you know the gadget that uh kevin costner's uh, wearing that has the thing over the eyes with yeah, the, the, the i had it <laughs> and the kids laugh they used to call this thing i'd go down to golf lab and i'd spend hours trying to learn how to properly swing a golf club i had i had stuff no, i don't think i had that much stuff the you know the only thing i'd didn't get. Oh, I actually had the swing jacket, the thing that guides, had, it, had it. guides you through. It's like absolutely a little, like had your ri- arms that, that attached your arms to your body. Had it like a little railway yeah. system. Yeah, like over football pads. <laughs> the only thing I, one of the things I would not get at all was this is like I think late eighties. Ledbetter had this thing in which his whole philosophy was around kind of like the dog swings the tail. So it was all about body. The body dominates. Yes. So it was this thing. It was like this little freaking, um, uh, what do you call those jackets? But, you know, people are, you know, psychotic or oh, straight jacket. Straight jacket. So yeah. you put this thing on and uh, you, you'd Velcro your arms basically to your body. Like, I couldn't ever. Could you imagine going out on the range at Glen Care with that thing on? And Well, here's how obsessed I was. <laughs> I, I would go on the range at the National with these gadgets on and people would laugh at me, but I didn't care. I'm like, this is the way. And every time I get a new gadget, I had the wrist thing, and then I had this oh, other... the angels? The wrist angels? No, I had the snap track thing. I had Evershed's uh, <laughs> click thing click with... Click track. Click thing with the stance. What about the thingy that you put here? Oh, the right angle? Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I made my own. I actually did this. It's funny, because um, one, one of my buddies, are, a guy you know, is Marty Chuck, the guy that invented the Tour Striker. When, when we were younger, I came to the golf course one day, true story, with I'd taken a curtain rod. <laughs> put it through your belt loops? Put it through my belt loops. Perfect. Had it, and, and so that I could, because I, if, I, if I came too far inside on the downswing, my elbow would hit the curtain rod. And sometimes when I'm bugging, because he used to bug me like, oh, Mr. Gadget Boy. Meanwhile, he became, you know, <laughs> millionaire because of this tour striker. Yeah, He's also yeah. a very fine teacher, Barney, by the way. So all of this is by way of saying swing thought, folks, that um, O'Connor definitely uh, a huge step forward is getting somebody like Tim or delving into the mental side of golf because there is a mental there's a, there's mental learning to be done, but there's also the physical part, and that's what I think what we're talking a lot about here is how your body. If you relate to a target, your body knows what to do in terms of how to react to that. How to react I, I to would that agree. target, and and having a mental performance coach like uh, Timothy from O'ConnorGolf.ca uh, can help you because what it can do. And well, we're going to get to that. There's no time limit on this show, is there? No, 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 no. Um, we're going to get to uh, my uh, lowest round in 18 years and my first round ever doing one particular thing. Anyway, 
Um, Tim can help you. People like Tim can help. I'm your, I'm your Tim, by the way. I know, I know you know that, but I'm talking about you as though you're not here. Tim can help you. And, and, but so can Howard. So well, uh, by let, listening let, to no, what let, you do. Let me finish this part. Okay. Tim can help you. Learning what Tim and I have uh, talked about on Swing Thoughts definitely can help you. But it's still not going to teach you how to be a golfer. Yep. It's going to help Got you it. enjoy golf more. You're going to enjoy your uh, average round. Enjoyment will go up 100%. If you get Tim to work with you, I guarantee it. It's very but nice you, to say, but yes. But you're still not going to teach anybody how to play golf. You're going to give them hints. They will enjoy their game more. But, but I, don't, I don't think what you do, unless you, I mean, I could be wrong, but unless you walk around with your players and go, no, I think you need to take something off an eight iron here and cut it left or right. Do you know what I mean? That's not yeah, your, yeah, I hear that, that's not your bailiwick, is right, it? But, well... I'm a good player, so I know what good decision-making is in terms of strategy and that kind of thing. But I think a lot of it comes... So, And once a player achieves a certain degree of proficiency, I mean, if you're a 20 handicapper and you're struggling making contact, it doesn't really matter whether they're going to try and fade it into, into the green or not. But if you're a 20 handicapper... And you learn to like yourself a little bit better during the golf experience. You might get yourself in a position where you can even make better decisions to be a 15 handicapper. Agreed. I think Absolutely. You, I, I totally believe that you could take somebody with a 20 handicapper handicap and make them uh, enjoy themselves to a 15. Yes, 100%. So here's, here's where I'm going to go with that. So say you've got the 20 handicapper and he's faced with a decision about whether to try to hit his three wood to the... Uh, hit it into over the creek. Yes. If he's standing there and he just, oh, he can't settle down and, and he's feeling jumpy over the ball and he's got a death grip on it. Well, that's his body sending him a signal that he doesn't, he's not comfortable with this shot and he really doesn't, he really doesn't have full confidence and his mm-hmm. body is sending signals. You don't have this shot. So make a better decision. And, I, and I, by the way, I'm going to walk back saying I, I shouldn't have said you can't teach somebody how to play golf. What I meant was that's a perfect example of having a great mental coach can give you the information that says, listen to your body. You right. know, this isn't and you don't need to be there with them. You know, they, they will learn. You will learn. To recognize the signals in your body that say go, no, go. Like, you know, Carl's got some great stuff. You know, the stop. If, you know, the, the like, red, what's that thing? The red, yellow, green. green yeah, green light, green light, go. Uh, yeah. Caution, yellow light, red light. Eh, don't All go. great things. Yeah. Um, but I'm, my premise is there's still a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of a uh, thing about our game. You know, whether you read lead, uh, uh Shoemaker, Rotella, whether you read any of those guys, that there's still a little bit of a disconnect in, you know, the 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 sort of nuances of playing the game of golf. The same that that are different than other sports. Like I guarantee, you, if you were the mental performance coach for a squash player, a lot more of what you would do is the strategies of of playing squash, not just from a being more centered mentally. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, and I think what you're talking about is a lot of it is accumulated knowledge from experience of, of watching other players, talking to them, reading. It's, it's like something like uh, if you've got a, say, about a 30-footer downhill slider, well, you can do something. Like you can imagine, instead of just trying to 
uh, make the putt, you can imagine, say, the last four feet. And this is something I picked up from Sean Clement. You can see that last four feet. Mm-hmm. And you could just imagine the ball is just like creeping in that last couple of feet as it exhausts It's itself. a great mental picture. And, and exactly. So you're, you're, you're playing to that picture, as Sean talks about. And those are the little things that you pick up in this, in this game mm-hmm. uh, of playing it to, to move to that little higher level. And, and it comes so much from, as I say, from watching other players, asking them. And I think, I think there's a perfect thing. example of a mental coach giving a, a, an image to a, a player, whether you're a 20 handicap or a zero, that if I have a 30 footer and, and we're working together, I'm going to start imagining that and I'm gonna, it's going to make me a better putter. Absolutely. But so it also I, helps in your decisions. 100%. Because then you're thinking to yourself, okay, if I'm 160 to the green and it's a downwind, but, you know, is it a seven iron? But then I think to myself, no, 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 I don't want to go past this flag. I want to be 30 feet short. And then I've made the decision because I know that it, this will be a better position for me to be in. Yeah. Um, okay. I, we're about 55 minutes into the uh, round here. Uh, you had a nice round. Your final round was a 79. Yeah, and I'm very proud of it. Very proud of it. Um, front didn't go so hot in the last few holes. So I made 41. And um, and then, anyways, I'll just cut to the chase that uh, I ended up being uh, <laughs> seven over with on um, after I walk off 13. So... You know, I'm like a lot of players, you know, semi-low handicap or whatever. And it's like about 79 is so different than 80. And yeah, it's I, funny. And, and I'm aware of that. And, and as a and as a coach, I'm working on, you know, talking with people, but not being score conscious and, you know, focusing. So I was doing my best, as I talked about, of really, you know, engaging with the course and just not thinking about, the shot coming up, like, you know, as I'm going down the fairway, that mm-hmm. type of thing. But I was really proud of how I, I, I grounded out and I parred in. And, you know, that included like about, um, that included three three-footers on the la- on, on 16, 17, and 18. Wow. And, and part of it too was... And those aren't easy holes to finish on. No, no, they're, yeah. They're um, all strong. Yeah, and... The uh, 16, the... Uh, the par three, that one. No, sixteen is the uh, the par four from a up uh, upper tee over water kind of bends. Oh yeah, bends, bends that's left. a tough. That's a oh, that's a really tough hole. Well, that green is like a potato chip. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I two putted from about sixty feet. Oh, that a boy. Really proud, and uh, got up and down on uh, sixteen. That nice little par three. That's the down. one I was thinking about. Yeah. The uh, the law. Yeah, the one that. Did. Yeah. Drops down from like eighty feet or something. Yeah, and I got a little greedy, so I took a seven iron and and, and I was going to just really swing it, and it was it was too much club. But but again, I, I managed to get up. Well, that's and down one of the problems of playing footer. alone, though. On a par three, you don't really have anybody to you know to talk through. You know, what are you going to hit? What am I going to hit? Yeah, but anyway, I not to drone draw it out too longer. I was just really pleased <laughs> when uh, that three footer for seventy nine dropped. I did a fist pump. And I was one happy little boy. And uh, isn't it funny though? The seventy nine and eighty are just one shot away, but there's just the suh, the suh part of that, the prefix of sev uh, versus eh. Exactly. Maybe it's just what your mouth goes. Eh. What'd you shoot? Eighty. What'd you shoot? <laughs> seventy nine. I know, and, and and that's the thing is that you know I'm a <laughs> wounded warrior. 
<laughs> yeah, God forbid you shoot 80. You know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm working with people, trying not, but it's really, it's part of, so part of my evolution as a player is getting more comfortable with always like being in that zone of, of, of kind of like that mid seventies range. And I've been in it a few times this year, but uh, there's been a, a number of times this year where I've three putted the last fricking hole for that kissing your sister 80 thing. And, um, I don't know why people always uh, put down kissing your sister. Cause you know, my sisters are super hot. I'm just kidding. Tim. I know. I I'm know, just I know. kidding. I'd love to meet you. You've never introduced me. It's, she's, it's a fictitious sister just used for the sake of that joke. Um, <laughs> I'm bef- going with it <laughs> before I forget the first hole at, uh, I played blue. I played your course last, uh, Saturday and it was a beautiful day in the city of Toronto, but out for some reason, out where that golf course is out in Milton, it was just cold. Like it well, was uh, we're north of the East Coast, yeah, and it's near Acton. It's way so north it of was Milton. like a cold six or eight degrees, and we teed off, and you know it was a it's a pretty tough golf course. Um, it is a very tough golf but, course. But uh, I had uh, so we played the back nine first, and I was playing okay. I don't even know. I think I shot. Uh, doesn't matter what I shot. But on we have visitors. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, on the. Uh, there's my boys, Chris and Chris. Guys, I, I'm going to be a few more minutes. So, uh, no, or go, I don't know, could be like 20. Just go, do something. That's Chris Brown. Yeah, these, did, guys, these guys who painted your house. And that's, all uh, do work. all kinds of work around here. They're good fellas. Um, on the first hole at Blue Springs, it was our 10th hole of the day. I had a really good drive. I had about the back, the pin was as back as it can be on the green. I had like a 115 of the flags. I don't know. Took out a pitching wedge, took something off it, but I hit it. I hit it so fat <laughs> that it barely got on the green. It was hilarious. I hit it about 95 yards or nine. I was close to, I guess, 100. I don't know. I hit it 20 yards short of the flag, just barely on the green. So we get up there, and obviously I'm the first to putt because I'm 70 feet from the flag. <laughs> it's big green. And uh, it was one of those ones where, like, here's, you know, I'm. I'm I take golf pretty seriously, but I also goof around a lot. So I'm I'm taking practice swings, and I start going through all the things people say when they have a long putt. I'm going to need you to hold the flag. I can't see you for the curvature of the earth. I said, I don't have the right club for this. I'm in went, the wrong area. I'm in the wrong area. I did all of them, right? All of it. Got to <laughs> put a full swing on it. But I was thinking to myself, like I really was <laughs> taking as big a practice swing as you can take with a putter without... You know, trying to hit the ground, like take a divot. <laughs> and exactly. I'm going to tell you, I hit that putt. As soon as I hit it, it was solid. But you don't know. And it's, it was, the reason I know it was 70 feet is because it went in. And you walked it off. I walked it off. <laughs> and everyone was freaking out. M- me included, because I was like, did you guys see that? Like, that was incredible. And I said, wait, I have to. I went back to my, where my divot was, and I walked it. It was 23 point, uh, sorry, 23 and a half paces. Nice. So 69 and a half feet. But like I said, it was so funny because I just I did the whole thing. <laughs> Curvature of the air is wrong, Erica. Long swing. And, I can uh, rattle it so I can hear with all Yeah, this, I can't see you guys. Could somebody get on a chair? All that stuff. <laughs> um, and that's but yeah, it was love, cool. That's part of the reason we love golf. Like, Do tennis players have this much fun? I don't know. I don't know. But it was cool because, uh, it, you know, it's, it was... I don't think I'd, I... It's certainly the longest putt that I can remember sinking. Like, I've had, you know, 30, 40 footers. You know, we all do once in a while, but it was cool. Like, and it was one of those ones where it was breaking, and then it literally just went in on the last 
Now but, you know, I was just happy like a lot of golfers. I was, I was happy when I knew, A, it was going to get to the hole. Then I'm like, okay, it's not going to go by. Then I start, these are all things that happen in oh. seconds, right? Then I'm like, okay, it's breaking into the hole. That's cool. And then I'm like, Jesus, this thing, this thing might go in. Exactly, yeah. Anyway. That's, one of the, that's the very, very cool thing about golf. If you connect what we're talking about, the physicality of the game, when you hit a putt like that, there's like a knowing there's like a knowing. As the thing approaches, everything just seems correct. Uh, yes. The, the, everything just seems to be dialed in, and all the little buttons in my brain are being pushed, and uh, this could be a very good thing. Yes, it could be a very good thing. You know, exactly. And then the thing with a long putt like that is, <clears throat> what's going on? Stan? Stan's his partner. Okay, please. Stan. Um. The thing with a longer putt is, you know, again, you start going through the, okay, it's going to get there, and it's not going to go. Because a lot of times I've had longer putts where I, uh, like, I've hit it 10 feet by. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to leave this short. And then it's like, oh, now I'm chipping again. Yeah, but there you go. Oh, <laughs> should be thinking that way. No, I know. It is thinking. funny. But I'm like, I, okay, hang on a second. Let me go get my wedge. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, so I'm last, looking at some good scores here. Well, last week... My handicap uh, before last week had gone from 2.2 in June to 0.9. Uh, thank you. So, uh, I mean, I made a lot. That I mean, is something. I've had that a lot of something. low scores. I've had a lot of scores. I've had a lot of under one under par. I've been under par a bunch of times, you know, four or five times now since sort of August, September. I've shot even par a bunch of times. And then last week on. So I'll just go really quickly. Tuesday, I was. Under par for most of the round and bogeyed the last hole. And by the way, all these scores happen on all different golf courses. None of them happen on my my home course. Which I'm, courses, right? Not all. No, nope. Uh, and which I'm proud of actually because I've gotten to the point now where my game travels. I can adapt to situations, and I my methodology uh, can can apply to other to, to different golf courses. So I played a course I hadn't played in a long, long time called Woodington Lakes. Very difficult little place. I used to play uh, whenever I would have a a GAO qualifier because it was one of those courses I knew if you break 80, you're going to qualify. It's a tough golf course. But I played nicely, got under par early, under par on the front nine, and bogeyed the last hole to shoot even par. A couple days later, I played Rattlesnake, which is a club link course. was three under after seven. Going along nicely, uh, bogeyed the ninth hole, tough hole. Then I birdied 10. So I'm three under. On the 13th tee and got a little nervous, uh, nervous slash started thinking about what it, what it would mean, what that would be cool, and then bogeyed a couple holes quickly and then finished nicely because the last couple of holes on Copperhead are very, very difficult. 17 and 18 into the wind and I parred both of them, so I felt pretty good. Yeah. And then I played Sunday, so I was 72, 71, I was one under par for the round. And then I played Sunday with a guy that has a plus two, a former Canadian tour player, a guy with a five handicap, and me. And we had a little match, and it was all kind of fun. And I was going around the golf course, and I got under par again. You know, under par on the front nine, shot one under. And then going around, things were going nicely at a place called Eagle Ridge. Oh, yeah. A nice little golf course. Not easy, not difficult, but, you know, lots of turns and lots of fades and, and draws and cuts off the tee and draws into holes and kind of going along. And I'll tell you really quickly, I got to the 17th tee. It's a, a dog leg left, extreme dog leg, par five. You got to hit three wood off the tee. And then you just sort of lay up and, and whatever. So I had the two, these two thoughts came to my mind concurrently. One, if I birdie one of these two holes, because it's par 71, my first thought was, oh, I just need a birdie. 
I got to birdie one of these two holes for 69. Okay? And then the second thought I had was, I haven't made a bogey yet. And then it was my turn to hit. And I did all the things I normally do. I looked at the target I wanted to hit. I, this is the kind of, I rehearsed the kind of shot I wanted to hit. But the, what was really going through my mind was 69 and no bogeys. And I topped it 110 yards. Oh, wow. I, I almost whiffed. In fact, it was such a bad swing that just for a second after I hit it, everyone just was sort of in shock. And then they all laughed. Of course. What else <laughs> Including could you do? me. Yes. I was like, I actually said, did you guys see that? <laughs> I, I had and it's funny because in the succession of shots that happened after that it took me a second to kind of even imagine I had done it I, I necked I, have you ever done this where you almost pull top like I almost missed it I was my club was going up and left at the same time because I was trying to draw it but I was it was it was sort of it was almost like a pull shank. Yeah, I don't know. I know oh. that's not a, a great word for. Anyway, I'm 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 listening here. I'm still here. I haven't been thrown into my psychic uh, breakdown. Just so okay. I pull shanked it 110 yards, <laughs> and uh, the second shot that I had to hit was a hooded five iron that had to like li- I had to snap hook it around the corner just to get it back in play. And so it was okay. That was a really good shot. The second one I hit was amazing because it was so cool. I did. I just sort of snap hooked it, hit it about 170 yards. You hit a shot. Hit a great shot. Then the next one, still a little, you know, still kind of smarting from what happened, hit it fat, short of the green. And then I hit probably the best chip shot of the summer because it was one of those. Par five? Par five. Because it was one of those ones where I had to, honestly, Tim, I had to hit it 15 feet right of the, the flag because it was the, wow. it's that par five there and the green tilts extremely right to left and I hit it to a foot. Nice. Made par. And then I birdied the last hole. Sweet. Now, thank you. I, we just did the knuckle bumps there, Thanks, folks. buddy. Yeah, so, on the, la- and on the last hole, killed a drive, hit a, a gap wedge to eight feet and I was the last person putting because it was also to win, to tie the match because it was me and, and the, the former tour player, Paul Henrik's his name, against one of his students who's a plus two, former club champion at the uh, course I play at. And I was the last person to putt. And I knew it was for 69. Everyone did. And uh, it was also to tie the match. And the only thing I said to myself was, make a good stroke, see what happens. And as soon as I hit it, I knew it was in. Nice. Now, when it went in, I didn't get extremely excited or freak out. I sort of gave a small fist bump because I was just proud of myself for hanging in long enough to make mm-hmm. that happen. Because I'd also shot 70 on that course about a month ago. And I, and I knew I, I had a chance uh, on that day to shoot 69 quite easily. So when it was over, it was kind of like, okay, that was cool. Um, and I, I'm not to say this braggadociously. I wasn't surprised. I've been getting close a Absolutely, lot. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, for the for the record, in five rounds of golf last week, my highest number over par was at your course, Blue Springs, on a very difficult day. I shot 76. But 76 is like the new 80 for me. Yeah, I hear it. I hear it. There's so that, many cool takeaways from this. I but the it. biggest one for me was that I went, you know, after all this time, after knocking at the door and after getting comfortable and after being under par a bunch of times, I finally got to have a six. And it was the first time I'd been in the 60s in 18 years. And it was the first time in my life I've ever been bogey free and around a golf. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal stuff. And here's the other thing you should know. I didn't hit it that good. 
I love it. I love it. <laughs> I hit it okay. I had a couple of, of times where I hit it great. But if you looked at the overall ball striking for the day, ish, you know, yeah, I hit. Yeah. F- now I know. I'm again. I'm not being a dick. I hit 15 greens, so I hit the ball well enough. But I didn't, you know, on the day I was under par after seven, I hit, I hit a couple shots that day were like kickins, one foot. Mm-hmm. But this, I didn't do any of that. I was on lots of greens with not great chances at birdies. So, yeah, so you're making really good decisions on, on where to play the break, pace, right. all that, your chips, all, all that. But I wasn't, I wasn't striping it. I didn't have any leaners. Mm-hmm. I only made, it's funny, until the last hole, I'd only made one birdie all day. Wow. And so, and I had plenty of chances, but not great chances, but I was on a lot of greens. So that's the takeaway that I would leave everyone with is, well, I shot my best round in 18 years, and I didn't have my best stuff. Yeah. I just had my, my, I just had my good approach stuff. Yeah, great, great learning in that. In, in terms of the idea of golf is not to make good swings. The, the idea is to hit shots and to to be immersed in the game and responding to the challenges that are put ahead, put to you and how and, and how do you respond to them and that's with decisions that's with relating to target and just self monitoring all that stuff mm-hmm. you're, you're doing that really really well that's really so cool to hear about and the other, and by the way I'm sorry to interrupt go ahead no no is is that what you're talking about is the same so you're talking about the same kind of thing that I went through about my little 79 versus mm-hmm. one. Like, you want to shoot 69. That's so different than 70. My gosh. You know, it, it, that's so cool to shoot in the 60s. I mean, that's amazing. It's the same thing with a golfer who's trying to break 110. Exactly. Or, or, by the way, you're, 100, you're 256% right. And it's funny. I tell my brothers that, and I tell anyone listening. When you, if your best score is 90 then shooting 86 is huge. And as I say to most people, if you're at the higher levels, you're going to really break through. For me, it was like I needed to squeeze out one more putt. Mm-hmm. But the point, if you're trying to shoot, if, you're, if you've never shot in the 70s and you're around that, you're going to feel all the things I felt. Ab- absolutely. Because we're so much, we're so, we so want to achieve our our dreams and aspire. Sure. So much of what we do in life is around aspiration mm-hmm. and how we see ourselves and how we project ourselves into the future and how we see ourselves comparing to other people. It's all, it doesn't, it's none of it is bad. It's all totally normal. Which is one of the reasons I told you that. And it's interesting that it turned out that the worst shot I hit all day was on the 17th hole. I honestly, I, I don't even know. I, I, I mean, I could be exaggerating saying it went 110 yards. No, I get it. But it, what it speaks to, to, to me is, how the being yourself suddenly you're in the future yep and you're not focused on the task at hand which is the shot you probably broke out of your routine so thus you're disconnected from the shot that you had all day and 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 your process is upset and the body goes well i don't know what to do Uh, and let me just say that that i have learned this summer that if I'm not very clear about my intentions, my body will do what it did. You know, the, the funny thing is... Mixed signals. I, I, I could tell, you know, the day I shot 71 at, at Copperhead, um, I was on. I could tell from the very first hole. Like, my, my, 
my first shot was just exactly where I wanted it to go. And the whole day was kind of like that. The ball striking was great, so I narrowed my target. The day I shot 69, my ball striking was okay, but I could tell I was kind of tugging everything mm-hmm. a little yeah. bit. Oh, yeah, my yeah. cut wasn't working, so I... St- That's the other thing. Couldn't cut, so I stopped trying. So you adapted. I just said, screw it. I'm not going to try any more left or right shots, because every time I did, I could see it was mostly like a pull cut. Mm-hmm. Like it was starting left and cutting, but I'm like, I don't want to do that. A couple holes before, I'm like, it's kind of a dicey tee shot. So I aimed so far right that when I pull hooked it, which I kind of felt like I was going to, I was kind of in the middle of the fairway. Everyone goes, good shot. I'm like, not really. (laughs) (laughs) They're all like, oh, good shot. And I'm like, well, if you guys knew where I was aimed, you wouldn't say that. But that's because I was aware of my... What was going on with me that day? But it's great golf. It was it's, it was good if golf. If the object of the of the game was to shoot a low score, you did what was required to do that, and which is different than oh man, I'm not turning it over today. And what so I'll keep doing? trying to fix it. Yeah, exactly. That's you know, just that's that's not golf. And what's really interesting to me as well here is that can you imagine what golf professionals go through as they try to take their game up. So so first you're say on um, you know Canadian professional golf tour and whatnot and you're not making cuts and thus you're not, you're not making much money to begin with. They're going through the same stuff in terms of trying to be comfortable with shooting scores that are competitive like like and shooting them in competition. And shooting them in competition to put bread on the table. Their careers are dependent on it. Holy crap, that's a lot of stuff. Well, that's to a, go that's through. at the sort of very very thin edge of the wedge. Um, you know, golf experience, and most of us aren't ever going to. I mean, but nothing going, I do has, is going to affect my ability to make a living. Right, but they are going through the same stuff, the same fight or flight tendencies the yep. same change in biochemistry the same whacked out thoughts is all going on with them and you know so much of it is just being it, it is and so what's happened to you if i'll just sort of to try and wrap up a little bit is that you've become way more comfortable playing in this area than you ever did so now it's like you play with a little less tension than you may have before, a little less emotional volatility, because this is the area you're now getting comfortable with. It's the same thing when I joined the Grinders group on Saturday morning at, at Blue Springs a few years ago. Um, these are all like the, the low handicappers, club champions, that type of stuff. My first round, a couple of rounds, the 90, 93, <laughs> that type of thing, because I didn't really believe I was in there until I finally started to get comfortable well, here's the, uh, the in sort that of area. addendum. So I shot uh, 69 on Sunday, didn't play Monday, played yesterday, and shot 79. So there you go. And it's funny. I could and tell. that's golf, man. I could tell from the, you know, yesterday I, I played because it was a nice day and I had had this round scheduled. But you know what? I could tell I was just tired. It was, I wasn't into it. And I had a great time. I didn't put any pressure on myself to shoot another low number. I hit some decent shots, but for the most part, I just made a lot of bogeys. And at one point in the round, I went, well, that's what today is. Fine. <laughs> you know, I don't care. And you know, you know, I had a wonderful time. We sat around having soup after and, soup you know, I went home and I, day. Perfect. I went home and I, you know, I thought, well, I didn't think I've lost my game of golf. I just went, well, you know, that's, isn't that funny? The last five rounds before yesterday, I haven't been over 76 in like a month. 
And then I shot 79 and I went, ah, that's okay. You know, I could tell. I, I, I know it's funny because I was just a little bit off in every aspect of the game. Went to draw it, didn't draw it. Went to cut it, didn't do it. Couldn't chip, didn't chip. Just a little bit off. Not, not great. You know, not, I didn't stub anything. I was just a tiny bit off all the way through the game. And I went, okay, so I don't know, 79, I don't care. Uh, and I enjoyed it. Um, because I looked at that last round that I shot 69 is almost like my last round that I actually gave a crap about. So my, de- my season's over now. Yeah. And now I'm just uh, hanging out with you. All right. O'ConnorGolf.ca. Fun show. This was fun. That was a long one. Really fun. Well, you know, it's because we haven't done it in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're doing every couple of weeks kind of thing. And Here's the cool thing, though. And you know, they, uh, the uh, Golf Canada site stops accepting your scores. Yeah. I was, after, a, little dis- uh, I was a little disappointed yeah. about that. Oh. Tell me about it, Oh, bud. you're 69? Didn't 71, 72, 70, 60, none of it. Oh. But I've done the calculations, Tim. 0.5. Wow. Which is... Is that a history? zero. Wow. That's zero. That is a zero. Not with the 79. Another fist pump, Thanks, folks. Um, Humble and Fred Radio at humbleandfredradio.com on Sirius, and we'll uh, see you soon. All right? Oh, yeah. Brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. Number one driving in golf. Number one driving Best driver on the planet. And uh, Club Link. Good golf. Nice people. Competition. Get on the plane.